one that they usually go around teaching about. We had 3,000, we're down to six. And this is an account about Jonathan and his armor bearer going on a surprise attack mission that when I tell you, thank God that a lot of times for leaders it's what's in your heart, not in your head, because this is one of the most harebrained ideas. I mean, God bless valor, but beyond valor, there's some... I don't think stupid is a real bad word in this case. On, on, when we read his game plan, we're going to give him credit for heart. He's a leader with a great heart. So, so they're going to a surprise attack the, the, the enemy, and they're believing for something great, and there are two of them. And when they succeed, and we know the backstory. when they succeed, uh, the 600 fighting men suddenly rally and become so bold and so valiant that they, they experience a great victory, but it starts with two guys, a leader and an armor bearer, and it starts when you come down to it with no military training that brought about this success. It just comes back to a matter of the heart. What kind of mind control does a leader have to exhibit that would cause a man to volunteer to go on a kamikaze suicide mission that there, <laughs> there just seems to be no way this is going to work. And yet he says, I'm in. And the answer is, it was all about heart, a godly heart. And from my vantage point today, that kind of a heart is rare. We don't see a lot of valiant attempts to move followers on great campaigns for God at great risk. We, um, we're really, it's amazing how hard we'll work to take faith out of the equation. It, it is uncanny how we will do everything, Dr. Phil and I were talking about last night, we will do everything within our power to take any guesswork or question marks out of the equation if there is a question mark, you, we bend on that thing so hard to try to straighten it into an exclamation point. We, we don't realize there is a principle that without faith, it is impossible to please God, which means if there is not any area of my life that is requiring faith, odds are my life is not a life pleasing to God. And, I, and yet you and I work so hard to get the faith out of it. We, we truly work hard to get to where whew, now we don't have to believe. Now we can coast. Okay, I'm just going to talk about me and you all just keep looking at me like you're looking at me like I know not what you speak of. But I'm talking about every one of us. My suspicion is there, there is no lack of missional opportunities for us to do for God. But there is a lack of leaders that have that, that heart that causes people to rally around them to go against insurmountable odds and advance the kingdom of God on nothing more than a crazy idea but a lot of passion. So I want to give you seven signs of a leader with a great heart. And this is just all straight from Jonathan. Seven things that I see here. just want to leave it with you this morning. And uh, it'll probably put more questions in your mind than answers. And that's why John's here. He'll answer all your questions. But number one, leaders with great hearts move when they have definitely heard from God to go. 
here's one of the things that can stalemate a ministry, and that is ready, aim, aim, aim. At some point, you've got to make a step. You've got to make a move. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to try. It may be a faith-filled step, but a leader with a good heart knows if God gives me the mandate, if God gives me the direction, I make a move. Nothing we can do will take this portion of serving God out of the equation. God's economy operates on faith. It's, it, everything moves on faith, period. And you, at some point... You know you've heard, you've got to move. Uh, my son, is a, Spencer's a junior in high school, going into his senior year, and he's, I rewind right back to, uh, I was sitting with him Sunday evening. It was a unique thing that happened to me, I, or Saturday evening. After service, our Saturday night service, I went to the cemetery just to sit at my dad's grave and sunset and just kind of a good place to clear your head. And, and as I was pulling up, I see this blue Mini Cooper parked at my dad's grave, and I'm like, is my son here? And sure enough, Spencer, on his way to what we call our 429 service, had decided to go to the cemetery and sit at his granddad's grave. So at that point, I am already, I'm not even to the grave, and I'm already, <laughs> I mean, you know, because my son, he knew how to get there, which I got out and said, son, you knew how to get there? He said, dad, I've cleaned it. I've cleaned Dad's, uh, Papa's mark. That's right, I'm sorry. But wow. And so we sit down on the bench, and it was, it was rewind, because he said, dad, what am I going to do? Well, what do you mean, Bob? Well, Dad, I believe I'm called to ministry. I, I believe I'm supposed to be a pastor. But I, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I, I, you know, and, and man, that just took me back to junior, senior. And when that happened to me, I'll never forget being in that aspect of my life. And I had a guy give me a word that just is a word for somebody here today. I, I had a guy come up to me and ask me when I was 17. I was right in there. I didn't... It wasn't that I didn't want to do something for God. I just wanted to make sure that it was God that wanted me to do something for him and not me. You heard people running from the call? Not me. I was running straight at it. But then checking my motives. Do I, is this me or is this you, God? And I found out it's us. But at the time, I didn't know that. And so here's Spencer. He's feeling the same thing. And the words that were given to me were this. Scott, God can't steer parked cars. That's really deep, but just, just track with me here. You can get in a car if it's in park. Make your best <clears throat> car noises and, and just jerk that steering wheel. And I, I used to do it as a kid. I'd go out and we had an old Volkswagen. I'd get in it, roll the window down, pop the wing window, and I'm, I'm off, man. I'm driving down the road. I'm, I'm just making miles, man. I'm just I'm blowing it up. I'm, I'm doing 90, 100, 170 miles an hour on, on Highway 59. I'm flying down the road. Then Mom opened the front door and said, Lunch! And I hop out, because I, I hadn't gone anywhere. It's just all in my mind. I'm in the vehicle, but it's not in drive. We are so afraid of doing the wrong thing, we don't do anything, which is the worst thing you could do. It is better for God that you make a wrong move than no move. He can't steer parked cars. So the point is, is if you'll just take a step, your steps are ordered. And if I start moving... God has a way of steering, and he'll get you in the right direction. None of us. There's not a person in here who has had a straight, linear move from when you embraced your call or your mission to where you are today. We zig, we zag, we U-turn. 
as the navigation says, at your first available opportunity, turn around. But God can't steer parked cars. A, a, a leader with a, uh, with, with a great heart, I've got a word, let's move, he'll direct. One of the most frustrating things you can do to your people is always talk about where you want to go, but never put it in drive. God's economy operates in faith. Second thing, leaders with great hearts unconditionally love those that follow, and the followers know it. People know if we love them. People know if we're loving them or using them. That, that's, the, uh, that's the bad side of leadership. The flip side of leadership is if we're not careful, we can use people as widgets and tools to accomplish our mission and forget that they're people. And there's nothing more unproductive than to be in the people business and use people to get your business done as if they're not people. How do people know that we love them? Only if we do the things that show the degree of our love. You have to care for the people who follow you. And the quality of their lives has to matter to you if you're going to be a great leader. It's in your notes. Care is a verb. Care is a verb. Jesus cared for the followers, so should we. Think about Jesus' words. He never just said, follow me and help me get my thing done. He said, follow me and I will make you. Now, I've got a mission, but part of my mission is making you. Ever so often, I think it would be good if we stop and inventory the people who have followed us and worked with us. What do they become? Someone who has worked with me, lived with me, we've done life and ministry together. What do they become? Imagine Peter on Pentecost night. Wow, that was awesome. I was a nobody. I was a commercial fisherman. And we weren't doing good. And then he called me, and he said he was going to make me. Then he walked with me. He taught me. He let me in on the miracles. I dispensed bread and fish. I, I did things in his name. He rebuked me and, and corrected me. He, he expressed his love. And look at what I have become. What do the people who follow you become? We've got to make sure that we don't just care about the mission, that we care about the people who are helping us get the mission done. Number three, leaders with great hearts live a lifestyle of personal faith that inspires others. Jonathan did not inspire his armor bearer by sending him to the enemy's camp. <clears throat> The man was inspired by Jonathan leading him to the enemy's camp. You know, I am, uh, I'm thankful, I believe we have, moved past that phase of presenting ministry to the people as being a, uh, uh, an impregnable life that, you know, we, we, we don't even take steps. We just, we somehow move from the bed to the kitchen to the, you know, that we put both legs of our pants on at the same time, that, that our cat always finds the litter box, that, that everything in our world is great, that our car never runs to empty, that we, you know, that just life is just, <clears throat> people, people aren't looking for 
Superman. They're looking for Clark Kent. They're looking for real. They're looking for somebody. Show me what does it look like in shoe leather? Looking, I'm discovering that there is a ministry of weakness. There's just something about looking at people and instead of saying you shouldn't, saying you too. Letting them walk through things with you. See, uh, I'm not talking about you got to bring up all your laundry and get up. Well, last night my wife and I had a fight and I slept on the couch and God is good. Uh, but, uh, but on the other hand, for them to understand and recognize uh, he's, a, he's a husband, he's a dad, he's a man, then he's my pastor. And he lets me in on what it's like to be a husband and a dad and a man. And that makes him a better pastor. Because pastoring is not doing what I told you. It's follow me as I follow Christ. We're all working this thing out together. And it seemed like there was a while. I, I remember some people, it seemed like they set the bar so high. Uh, I, I knew of a person in ministry. I'm going to say person. I'm not going to put a gender on it. I'm not going to put a state on it. But a person somewhere between California and South Carolina who often talked about their prayer life and their fasting. And that they fasted one day every week. And, 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 the, and they just, all, and I'm thinking, you should do that. But th- that would be 52 weeks. So that's like, that would be 52 days. And uh, you don't get where I am with 52 days of, 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 you know, Paul buffeted his body. I buffet mine. And I'm like, you know, you, 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 you 52 days. I should do that. I should, I should fast more. Later I find out that when they declared that every Wednesday they fasted, see, because I'm literally thinking nothing but water. I'm thinking, wow, 24 hours. No, what, what I mean is, is until dinner. Well, I can do that. In fact, if we could go back in retro, I'd like to get credit. There was a lot of days that I was fasting and I thought I had overslept. Fasting is one of those things we've made mystical and and intangible and just always out of their reach. Man, you were so close. we got to get rid of the the Maxwell Smart mentality that you missed it by that much. And and, and that's... Oh, so you're saying you had dinner last night and you skipped breakfast and lunch. Well, okay. But you, you see how it's how we present it. And it comes across as, uh, God bless your heart, you'll never reach this spiritual level I'm on. I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying there was a, a generation that presented that. And people today, that's not going to fly. Because they're going for the heart and they want, show me, show me real. Jonathan didn't send He led your personal faith becomes your passport to go forward with your followers behind you. Here's the litmus test of faith. Group faith versus personal faith. Faith in a crowd versus faith all alone. That's the test. It's it's not about, it's it's, what am I doing? It's my faith. It's, It's me alone. And how am I presenting that to someone else? Let your heart's faith be defined. Let the people know. 
your January fasting will be so much more successful if they all understand that you get hungry. And that you juice. <laughs> Steaks and potatoes. And <clears throat> it's a juice fast. Number four, leaders with great hearts look for opportunities to bring others along on the journey. That's how you know if you're a leader. Is there anyone else with you on the journey? John Maxwell said that years ago. He who thinks he's leading and has no one following is merely taking a walk. I'm going to say it this way. If you get to the mountaintop all alone, you're not a leader. You're a hiker. Leaders just take people with them. They look for the opportunity. Jonathan could have gone alone. Honestly, folks, one sword or two sword, did it really matter against these odds? It's not like he doubled his chances for victory when he said, okay, you come with me. All he may have done is delay the inevitable by one body and head of my body falling down. But he gave his armor bearer an entrance ramp. He gave him the opportunity. There's not much worse than a leader who takes in and steals all the thunder for himself or for herself. The most beautiful example is, is, is David and the five kings in the cave and when they were conquered and that he tells his men, you come, you put your foot on their necks. I want you to experience a victory. Now, let, I led you. I'm a leader, you were a follower, but this is our victory. You put your foot, how's that feel? Feel good to have him under your foot? That's what victory feels like. Now you've got a a recall. You can go back and say, I remember whenever I experienced that victory. It's amazing. People will walk out saying, we win, I won. Last week we had our pastor's uh, annual retreat, which we're not going to plan that on ARC again. That was a, uh, I'll find a staff member to blame for that, but. Uh, it was me, but we had a great retreat. So, but we go in there, and there's uh, counting myself. We got 14 pastors. We got spouses. We got, and we're in there, and, and I'm coming in, and my thing. I saw it out here in the uh, foyer of Pastor Eddie's church. Same thing. My thing is 2020 vision. That's only seven years away. What's our vision? Where we're going to be in the year 2020? And let's think forward. And I'm just forward, and I'm I'm thinking f- forward. And we had a break. During our break, Mike Acosta. One of our pastors came up and said, uh, Pastor, this is great. This is so good. Uh, question. Could, um, man, everybody's tired. We've had a great spring, and we broke all records for Easter. Uh, do, you, do you think we could take like five minutes in the next session and celebrate what we did, we've done? And it was just like, bam. Remind myself not to do that so hard next time, but just bam. I'm listening to him. We don't celebrate very good. There must be a reason why God said, okay, okay, now, you got out of Egypt, here's what we're going to do. Every year, you're going to celebrate this. Because I know you people. You're going to be thinking promised land, and you're going to forget past victories. You're going to commemorate. Folks, every feast was a feast of look what God has done. He had to command feast because it's our nature to keep looking forward and forget to look back. Now, you can't have a, a windshield the size of, 
I mean, a rearview mirror the size of your windshield, but you do have to have a rearview mirror because part of getting where you're going is seeing where you've been. Man, I was so convicted. We had had a big break. Uh, we had about a five-hour break or something. We was going to come back uh, that Monday night at 8 o'clock. This was just last week. <clears throat> and I, I grabbed a couple in our church and, and grabbed Melanie and said, okay, tonight everything changes. No flow charts. We're going to party. And we scrambled. Balloons, confetti, a pinata. It just seemed like something you do at a party. We, uh, we, we hired in uh, strobes and disco lights from the hotel. We told one of our guys, you're the DJ. And, 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 and no Chris Tomlin. We're going to party. <laughs> and our team came in. Robbie was there. All, our guys all come in, sit down, and I started talking, and I went straight Kevin Bacon on them. Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season. There is a time to dance. And then I told them, I just everybody stand and walk with me. And the next banquet room at the hotel, I text now. And at that time, earth, wind, and fire took off. You're a shining star, no matter who you are. And if you could have seen our pastors with journals and pens, <laughs> walking in to confetti and a pinata and disco lights, and you're a shining star, no matter. And we stopped, and for two hours, we danced. I'm not telling you it was pretty. I'm just telling you. <laughs> For two hours, we practiced the discipline of celebration. We sweated. We wept. Brett even got in the conga line and went around. Folks, I'm telling you, at that point, everybody said, oh, my God, we can do anything for God. Look, he's moving. Uh, I don't even want to tell you all the songs we played. We even went... Uh, Somebody even held Melanie up and they did the Patrick Swayze. I had the time of my life. And, I mean, we celebrated and wept. Look what God has done. Went around the room and had every single person say, what are you celebrating tonight? It will go down as the highlight of the retreat that we didn't plan one thing forward. We just stopped to celebrate what we had done and we made sure we gave, hey, oh, here's your thunder back. Because you're the one that did that. I didn't do that. Here's your thunder. Let me give you your thunder. I don't want to steal all your thunder. Let's celebrate. Number five, leaders with great hearts always speak words of life, hope, and victory to those around them. You've got to listen to Jonathan's reasoning, and this is going to encourage some of you right now as a leader, where you're at, what you're facing. Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 14, 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. <laughs> nothing better than a leader who's really confident. Perhaps. One translation says, maybe. One translation says, who knows, maybe. Sometimes that's the best word you've got from God is a who knows, maybe. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Catch that. Nothing can hinder the Lord. When the leader believes the story, the followers believe the story and the leader. You've got to believe in this thing you're trying to sell. Jonathan spoke life words, strengthening words to his follower. He believed in his product. God is able. All I've got is a perhaps, but it beats sitting here. Let's pull the trigger, and perhaps God will. Because here's what we know of, and then he just, it's a pep rally about God. We know he's able. 
we've got to be as convinced in our mission as the Kirby vacuum cleaner salesman is about his. Okay, obviously, y'all have never had them knock on your door. Sir, I'm, I'm just, if I've got a thing of ashes and trash. If you let me pour it into your carpet, I guarantee you when I leave, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, but then part of me wants to see that. Seriously, you're going to pour dirt in my carpet. Yes, and if I can't get it out, we will shampoo your room. And, and they're so convinced in their product. We're not that convinced sometimes. We're like the little kid that knocked on our family door years ago, and, I was, and it was a Saturday morning fundraiser with donuts. This little kid knocked on the door. My dad opened the door, and the little kid looked at him and said, you don't want to buy any donuts, do you? Kind of hard to get behind that sell. I'm thinking today that kid's not in marketing. You don't want to buy any donuts, do you? You've got, you've got, to, you've got to believe the story, and the people will believe the story and the leader. Leaders with great hearts walk humbly with God, never looking to take the credit. Notice how Jonathan puts God as the kingpin of the story. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Let's just make sure all credit goes to him. It's all about him. It's not about me. The greatest day in your, the most freeing day in your ministry will be the day that it doesn't, it's not personality centric and it's not built around you. But the day you build it around him and you stop taking yourself so seriously, it'll relieve you from the losses to say, well, it wasn't all about me. And it'll relieve you from the victory of knowing it's not all about me. Keep it about him. This is God's church. This is God's ministry. This is what God's going to do. He made sure everybody knew he's the star. We're all supporting cast. Number seven, leaders with great heart intentionally create an environment of trust. There was an environment. Do, do your followers trust you? Or do they feel like you're struggling with ministry schizophrenia? Yes, we are. No, we're not. This is what we are. This is what we're doing. There's a trust environment here. Somewhere during the time, the armor bearer had followed Jonathan and began to trust him. Trust is earned. Trust is earned. And, and we've got to be careful. There's so many incredible books right now that we ought to read. Um, you need to consume every book. You need to read Momentum by uh, John. You need to read all the books. But what was crazy is as you read books, we get inspired. And as we get inspired, we need to make sure that we meld it into our vision and that that book doesn't become the vision because that's what can wear the people out because now we're a sticky church. No, 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 I'm sorry. No, we're a simple church. We're simple. So, no, no, we're going to be a purpose-driven church. No, no, scratch that. We're going to, we're going to be a missional church. We are missional Come here, I've got this Francis Chan. I'm going to hit you all on the head with this book because you are scum because we, we've got to be missional. Wait a minute. No, we're not. We're presence. It's about pre- <laughs> I know that doesn't happen where you are, but the, it's just like ministry schizophrenia. One reason the armor bearer was willing to follow Jonathan into a highly volatile situation was because of the communication he received from Jonathan. Here's how the communication went. Let me tell you where we are going. I'm going to tell you where we're going. 1 Samuel 41, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on and let's go to where the Philistines have their outpost. We're going to go here. People want to know where the journey is expected to go. We are going here. Second part of the communication. We will have to work to get there. The NLT 
verse 4. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sina. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Jeba. He's literally between a rock and a hard place. This, but he says, now, I've cast the vision. I'm telling you where we're going, and I'm telling you, we're going to have to work. We will, I'm with you. We're going through this together, but this is what it's going to require. Some folks get weary with the journey because they didn't know how hard it was going to be. And, and faith is not faking the fact that it's tough. It's called the good fight of faith. Don't miss the word fight in there. Now, the only fight that I know that is good is the one you know the outcome. It's the good fight of faith, but there's fight in there. And, and he clearly communicates, this is what it's going to take. As a matter of fact, that's the third part of the communication. Let me tell you how much faith it's going to take to make this work. He says, let's go across to the outposts of those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. When you tell people we are going to have to attack the outpost of the enemy, by that I'm saying like when you, okay, we're going to add a service. You need to clearly communicate that. That's not all pep rally. That's also strategy. We're going to need to add a service. This is what it's going to take. When, when you tell everyone we're going to add a campus, then, then you communicate this is what that's going to require. When you tell them your workload increases, this is where you're telling them and that's this is what it's going to take. They needed to be reminded that faith is the commodity God deals in. He, he, just, he made sure the people were clear. I'm not telling you this is going to be easy. I'm not telling you this is going to be a breeze. But I'm telling you we're able, if we work together, and if we have faith, this can happen. Here's the armor bearer's response. I trust you. Wow. Is there anything greater a follower can say to a leader then I trust you. Verse 7, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. There is a reward, a payoff when people believe in you and pledge loyalty. When we get this thing uh, grooving the way it's supposed to groove, we truly are, as the Old Testament term gives, one man. Where there is the head and then the trickle-down uh, the trickle-down effect that goes from the head to the beard to the shoulders all the way down to the feet. Everybody feeling that same oil, that same anointing. Everybody in belief and everybody working together. The, the visitor in your church needs to feel the possibility that the leadership feels about where we're going. What makes people come to a church is when they say, I like what I feel, what they're actually saying is, I feel possibility. I feel possibility. There's just a, there's a possibility in the house. There's just, I, I just think all things are, po- you can feel it. All things are possible here. That you're, you're going forward, aren't you? Which means I could probably go forward. I, I see a church with vision. That makes me say I, I could have vision. Here's, here's a great leadership communication. Let me communicate to you what we will do depending on the response we get. That's not even 100% clear communication as far as I know the plan. He's saying, here's what we're going to do depending on what God does. The armor bearer says, I'm in. Verse 8, all right then, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are, we'll kill you, 
then we will stop and not go up to them. See, I'm, I'm tracking with that plan. I got it. If they look like trouble and they say, you better stay where you are, we will accept that as a word from God. We will stay where we are. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Now, I'm going to tell you, the more I read this story, the more inspiring it is to me because I'm just trying to picture me standing in front of our lead team or standing in front of Grace, at Grace Church and saying, here's how we're going to do it. If when we go for financing, they say, don't you move. Then we're going to say, okay, God, we're not supposed to do it. But if they say, well, you can try, but the time right now in the marketing is really tough and uh, interest rates are volatile and churches and nonprofits getting a loan, and all that, then we're going to say, well, let's go because that's a sign God's put it in our hands. And I could hear all the church going, yes. What? <laughs> he said, what? If the man next to us says, the property is not for sale, then we're not going to try. But if he says, you can't afford it, we're going to take it. What? <laughs> what? So we're, this, is a, this is an applause moment, sweetheart? We have, okay. This is the, but I'm communicating. Here's what we're going to do depending on the response we get. Let people know up front your plans. And, and the only reason why sometimes we wouldn't is because we don't know the plan up front. Number six, he says, I will never send you into a battle. I am not fighting with you. He says, come on, climb right behind me, for the Lord will help us defeat them. When people see you in the fracas, and then they don't mind fighting harder. When people recognize that you're in, that you're going after it, once trust is earned, often you find that honor soon follows behind it. You, sometimes we want honor and there's not trust. Trust comes first. But if you gain their trust, then you'll gain the honor. And people will fight if they see you in the fight. Sometimes it's just fun to follow a leader with a great heart. When you know, I get to be in on the victory with you. You're going to share the victory. You're going to share the process. I get to go with you in this. I see you living it out. I see you. I'm, I'm watching you, Pastor, and you and your family and how you're, you're doing life and how you're walking the, the tightrope of kids in a day in which families are being attacked and family values are being attacked, but I'm, I'm watching you guys walk that rope and, and I'm seeing you saying, God, I'll, I'll follow you because I see you ahead of me in the battle. I'll follow you in, in the capital giving campaign because I see you giving in the capital giving campaign. I, I see your family making us. You're not asking us to sacrifice any way other than what you are sacrificing. Great leaders have great hearts. If you look around you and see that people are ready to follow you to the very gates of hell at risk of life and limb, Here's something you need to know. It's not you. It's your heart. They have felt your pulse. They see your heart. That's the reason why Proverbs challenges us above all else. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. I want to be a leader with a great heart. I, I want God to create in me a clean heart and 
renewing me a right spirit because I'm, the older I get, the more I recognize people are not impressed with anything behind my name or how many books I've read or what, but, but it's heart. If people can get your heart, I pray that if you're a departmental leader, if you're a staff pastor, lead heart first. Let them feel it. Let them capture that and then watch where you can go. We don't have leadership issues. We have heart issues. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Amen. Thank you for letting me share. Hey. Um,